usually our top objection I would say is cost. And it's even harder because people have like more of a scarcity mindset mm -hmm. during COVID, which is obviously hard to overcome. But I think part of it also is just overcoming your own like self-limiting beliefs. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. Today, uh, I got a special guest coming not too far away, right across the street. Her name is Dr. Caitlin Herzog. And Dr. Kate, or Caitlin, is the physical therapist that works for us. And we've been working together for a, what, almost a year and a half, but a for the last for the last few months, we've been working hard on the new objections people have now that the coronavirus is here, and things are coming and going. And uh, I wanted to have Caitlin on the show because I know many of you are struggling with objections with patients um, now more than ever. I mean, we've had a harder time with patients, or spending more time on the phone with them to get them on board. And uh, I wanted to have her come on and share some of the changes we've made recently and some of the. Uh, way that she's handling objections. So, Caitlin, thank you for joining us today, and appreciate you being on the show and being an amazing uh, employee and team member. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's going to yeah. be fun. Awesome. Well, I wanted to uh, point out to everyone on air that Caitlin's not just a uh, mini Aaron. She doesn't have red hair. She's a little bit taller than me, and she actually likes powerlifting. And said she enjoys CrossFit, but we all know that she said she didn't enjoy it in the moment, but she's uh, starting to like it lately. So yes. Um, Caitlin, uh, I wanted to ask, well, for anyone listening, we, I had Caitlin on the show back in, uh, I believe it was in March and it was episode 125. And we talked about transitioning our manual th physical therapy patients to telehealth. And we went through the whole, um, kind of process we used to do that at the time. And in the four months since then, we've had different objections. We've had great success with telehealth and then restrict different restrictions and now we can open to in person and people's needs wants and desires change so i figured we need to have her on to come update some things because like i said we've made some changes but i before we get into that caitlin i want to know what have you been doing this summer um to stay healthy and fit and you know be it like you know like uh not just an athlete but you know like what have you been doing that you couldn't go to the gym and how are you staying healthy can you just share some of those tips with with us because it is important as physical therapists that we take care of ourselves right yeah we got to practice what we preach so i try to do that a lot more during covid so aaron treats me for my left hip i've got some left hip instability so when i run i have knee pain so i started doing well, I would actually do the homework Aaron gave me on a consistent basis with good results. So back in the beginning of COVID, I would like do interval running because it's distance running that gets me um, and just trying to increase the overall distance and like how many intervals I'm doing. So I was telling Amber, like in March, I couldn't even run a minute like pain free. Mm -hmm. But this past weekend, I did 2.69 miles. I mean, I had wow. pain, but over half the intervals were pain free. So That's awesome. it's awesome. Yeah. So I try to run once a week and do CrossFit 
one time a week, whether that be before I coach a class or just hopping in a class because I'm trying to be a better coach. So I'll mm -hmm. learn from the other coaches. Um, and then Aaron got me an awesome rogue barbell shout out. So <laughs> during COVID, since we work next door to each other, he has this really cool covered patio behind his office. So I would bring his barbell. I got a whole bunch of weights for like a dollar a pound, which is a really good deal. And my gym was just portable in the backseat of my car. And I would just lift behind Aaron's office and he would sometimes see me and be like, quiet down. No, just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so I train that like what, three, four times a week. So yeah, trying to just be more versatile. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, what's like the number one thing when you work out? Like what's the number one thing that makes you feel like, I don't know, what's the word? Uh, like, yeah, I'm doing exactly what my body's meant to do. Like, you know, or I'm getting everything like what, like for me, it's going on like a four hour bike ride and coming home with like jello legs, you know, like yes. for you, is there something specific workout that, that you're like, Oh, when I do this, I just feel so good. Yeah. So usually it's my heavy day of Olympic weightlifting. Cause I literally feel like my body died. It did everything it could do. And then I go pound some food with my friends and then go take like a one hour nap afterwards. Yeah. So it feels good, but that, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's always a fun time. So we hope there's a PR involved, but honestly, if I get anywhere close to 90% of my max on any given day, yeah. call that a win for the day. Well, back when I was your age, um, I uh, that's what I do is I'd wake up and I'd eat. I'd go on a four and a half hour bike ride, pound some food, take a shower, pound some food and go, uh, do four massages <laughs> and I did that for, I did that. I worked four days a week. I rode my bike for like five or six days a week. And that was my, you know, that was my life. You know, I wait, was even, that when your body was hurting or is that when you're like, Oh, my body feels good. Cause you didn't always take care of your body. Yeah. My body, it, it was, there was one year where my neck hurt and it would probably looking back. It was, it had to do with uh, probably the position on one of the, on the bike I had. Right. But I thought, you know, my position, whatever, you know, um, but it would, but it generally felt good. I didn't really start having shoulder issues until I like stopped, um, riding bikes and started doing yoga and really getting my body out of its comfort zone, which was, you know, hunched over a bike and I was, yes. oh, my shoulders hurt. And I was starting to do P90X and doing more pull-ups again. And it just like, and then, I mean, that was 15 years ago. And then, um, it was eight years ago when I went to SFMA course and, you know, I fixed a couple, I did a couple things that I learned about my body there, ankle and thoracic spine and my shoulders have felt significantly better since then. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, on my bike. Yeah. I always felt really good. Um, I had a period when I was in high school riding where I needed a massage and I was training, I was getting massages. I had a live-in massage therapist, girlfriend, Andra, who's now my wife. And I, or I would go pay for them. Like I would buy, I would eat ramen noodles, but I'd go pay for an $85 massage because it was worth that much to me. You're getting into the objections right, right? there. <laughs> right. So, which is great. And it's, so it's like what, uh, you know, so yes, so there, there's the objections. Like I never had an objection at the time. I didn't know physical therapy could help me. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know fit. You know, I was like, like, you know, like, screw this neck thing. Like the massage wasn't helping, but the physical therapist I all knew did hot packs, leg lifts, and ultrasound or post-surgical mm -hmm. stuff. And they didn't, you know, they, they weren't advert. And this is in California and they weren't advertising. Yeah. I would have paid good money for that. To That's why we love money. people like 
uh, what Andrew and Greg Todd teaching mm-hmm. us how to be like, tell the public what you do. Right, right. So what are some of the, like you sent me a little list and I'll read out some of the objections, but what I want to know is prior to Corona, what was the number one objection that we got from our patients? Usually it, I would say it was in, it, they're still tied. So I still stand by insurance and mm-hmm. cost being the top, but kind of something that came up as I was like getting ready to hop on here for this podcast that I didn't talk about in the Facebook group was like recircling and asking for the sale. Like pre-COVID, you'd only have to do it maybe one time, like handle mm-hmm. an objection, you recircle, ask for the sale and boom, sold. But now you, I mean, it's not as great because it takes a lot more time, but you probably have to recircle two to four more times now and just keep asking for the sale or you have to let them leave and just keep calling and following up with them. Cause that's right. the other thing people are really slow to move. So like before Corona, if people were like, Oh, I need to call my insurance and see if they reimburse. Usually I'd give them till the end of the week and they'd have it done. But now people are just kind of like dragging their feet. And it's been, I've been calling this lady every week for this is the third week now. And mm-hmm. she still hasn't called to get an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so before Corona, people had an objection. You could handle it. Even mm-hmm. they're right there in the room and, you know, probably what, 60, 70% of the time we'd get them to enroll in one of our programs. Yeah. Right. Now during Corona it's like, not only I know Amber's spending more time with them on the phone, mm-hmm. get them into a visit with you, but then you're getting the objection and it's sticking a little hard. It's the same objection. Yeah. Just, we got to circle back with them once or twice, maybe even up to four times to get them to convert to being a patient. Mm-hmm. And I also don't know if this is like a population like Mm -hmm. pool that we have now of patients or if this is just also a corona trend but now people are usually having other people pay for their health care so a lot of it's been like I can't just convert at the TBD because we have to talk to whoever is like the financial party responsible Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of that so I don't know if people just need more financial help during this time or it just is a random happenstance because we don't have a very large sample size yeah exactly. we don't have hundreds of patients a week that we're doing this with (laughs) we've got a good like handful Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the, um, so let's go back. So when someone says insurance and say, what do they say to you? And then how do you typically respond? Yeah. So usually people's objections, so they kind of fall into two camps. Some people are really upfront when they call in for their first time and they'll just ask Amber, our front desk um, staff point blank, like, Hey, do you guys accept Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna? And then Amber will kind of run them through that sequence of we're out of network. All that means is that, you know, we don't work for your insurance company. All of our Mm -hmm. patients have great insurance. Um, However, they choose to come here because of the results that we provide. And she even like makes it optional. She says some people choose to file, other people don't. But if you do decide to file, it's super easy. Any reimbursement will go to you, not to us. And Mm -hmm. so then they're at least prepared. So then when they come to the TBD, usually they aren't objecting because we don't take insurance. They'll kind of frame it as, oh, I need to, like, it's expensive. So I need to call my insurance and then see if they'll reimburse me. And then I'll kind of come back and then decide if, you know, I'll get reimbursed. And so that one's kind of tricky because you have to decipher, is it cost or is it insurance? The objection because usually it comes down to one or the other. It's not usually mm-hmm. both. So I had someone, the lady that I've been calling for the past three weeks, I just asked her kind of point blank, like, hey, 
if your insurance did cover it, would you be on board? And she's like, yeah, hundred percent. Yes. And I was like, okay, if insurance didn't reimburse you, would you be on board? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, what if it was completely within your means? Cause she, you could tell was very upper class. And I was mm-hmm. like, if it's within your means and you could afford it, would you come? And she was like, only if my insurance would reimburse me. So mm-hmm. obviously it was insurance is the objection. Right. So, right. Do you think that there is um, like, or have you seen with certain people, there is a, um, that, that those objections become like a smokescreen for something else? Is there some other objection that you really get into and, and clarify with people when they just go, like, oh, but insurance or, you know, or costs or something like that? Yeah, so in her case and a lot of other people's cases too, it's usually a combination of they're skeptical already, so that's kind of the smokescreen, but two, they like don't think it'll work for them or their pain point isn't big enough. So mm-hmm. when people, this is the other part that's fun to deal with, uh, we see a lot of active people and active people are great. They're usually on top of their body and they want to be more preventative medicine. So it's great when they come in when they're flared up because their pain points really big. But like for her instance, she was like, oh, my back flared up like a week ago. Now it's feeling great. Um, I just asked my cycling coach for a bunch of stretches. Mm-hmm. He gave me stretches and I'm feeling better. And she was like, I just want to prevent this from happening twice a year because my back flares up twice a year. And I was like, great. Okay. How much longer are you willing to suffer? And how much longer are you willing to experience flare ups? And she was like, well, I mean, I think I'm fine. If it gets this bad enough again, then I'll like fix it. But these stretches are really working. So I think these stretches are like going to be what's the ticket. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of asked her, I was like, well, why did you come in today? And she was like, well, I already had the appointment and I figured I might as well keep it, you know, like I didn't want to cancel it. And I just wanted to see if they're what you thought. And I was like, okay, here are my thoughts. You need physical therapy because her problem wasn't a mobility issue. It was a stability issue. So I told her point blank, your stretches aren't going to fix your problem. They're a great band-aid solution, but what you need is X, Y, Z. So that's like another big, um, I guess, take home point is basically finding out what the person sitting in front of you needs versus what they want and then where that meets and giving them that. Yeah. So like with, with those people, is it, um, what's the question? Like when they, when you say, Hey, you know, here's what I think you need. And they say, Oh, but it's expensive. Or I just want some stretches. What it like, what, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) you know, most of the times, the first time they object, you know, if we said, oh, yeah, okay, great, we don't do that, or, you know, uh, we can't help you if, if that's all you want, or, you know, I can help you, but you need physical therapy. What is it that you say to people to redirect? Like, what would you say to someone who said that? Like, we're, like if we were role-playing, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, Caitlin, but, you know, it's, you know, I need to make sure my insurance covers this, or I just really need, you know, some stretches, so that I don't, you know, so this doesn't happen a few times a year. How, how do you respond to that? Like in the moment? Yeah. So usually I'll try to always tie it back to their goal. So usually one of the first questions we'll ask people in the beginning is like, if I could snap my fingers and you could do one thing again, or if it's not holding them back from anything, you can say, mm-hmm. if you could do like anything or reach any goal, what would that be for you? Um, so for her, it was like being able to cycle without back pain. And I just literally ask, I'm like, well, Mrs. Jones, like obviously calling your insurance is going to take time to get an answer from them, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, you mentioned to me that you want to be able to cycle without back pain. You know, how much longer are you willing to suffer? 
And usually people don't really have, uh, they haven't thought about that. So you always have to give them that awkward, like 30 to 90 seconds, just think about it and answer. And sometimes they don't. And then I'll kind of take it a step further and redirect and kind of reframe the offer. Um, And I'll just say like, would it be valuable to you if I could help you, you know, start riding pain-free with like in the next two weeks? Mm-hmm. because assuming they're going to need one to three visits and then just see what they say to that. And if they say, Oh yeah, great. That would be valuable to be like, okay, how about we get started today? We at least get you some results. You can call your insurance company after that. If you really feel like you need to. And that's also kind of how we handle the spouse objection yep. that we'll talk about later, but at least get them started, you know, the same day. Cause then at least they have some skin in the game and then they're more likely to come back than if you just let them walk out the door and go call their insurance company and not get answers. I think the important thing I hear you saying is people are going to object. You redirect with a little bit different question. And then Mm -hmm. you don't just give it to them to then say, yes, I want physical therapy. You have to offer it again. You say, Hey, why don't we get started today? And so that we can make some progress towards your goals. And so you probably have like a, uh, a better chance. That's how you get a better chance of closing someone once they object once mm-hmm. or twice is because you're offering the same service. Like let's get started today again. Right. Yeah. And then I would say to, I mean, I always like having a down sell option mostly for the cost objection is like, mm-hmm. if I've asked for the sale three times and they say no, then I'll be like, okay, like I get it, Mrs. Jones, we can't afford that right now. Would you be able to afford like a cheaper option. I won't say the cheaper option, but it'll be like massage or maybe one of our like online courses and then at least get them some help that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about, you know, what's interesting is my understanding, like from my point of view, this summer we've been getting more of a, it's, or maybe, maybe you're just better at handling the insurance one, but I've been hearing. And as we've been talking through what's going on is we're getting more of a, that's too expensive for video. <laughs> you know, like I yes, wouldn't pay that much to, to come on video, but I would pay that to come in to see you guys in the clinic. You know, mm-hmm. how did you handle, how did you handle that? Cause I know people out there are still dealing with uh, doing some telehealth or, you know, even by the time you listen to this, we might have to go, uh, even California has gone back into, you know, stay at home orders. Like how are you, how did you handle those, that objection where it wasn't that it's too expensive. It's too expensive for video. For video, which I actually really liked that objection because we found a way to kind of conquer it in a way that made the person commit. So I would always tell them, I'd be like, listen, I get it that it might be really expensive for video. Um, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, to reach your goals, this is basically I'll reframe. If you want to reach the goal of playing with your grandkids again, this Mm -hmm. is how we're going to get there. Lay out the plan for them again. And then I would always say, like, listen, we are doing this for, or I've also put like a success story in there too. Mm -hmm. So I'll be like, I'll tell them about a patient and then say, hey, if you want the YouTube link to this testimonial for video visits, I'll send it to you. No worries. And then I would go on and say for like that patient, what we did is we offer them like a free trial video visit, but this is only for people who are really ready to commit. Um, We'll jump on a call. um, We'll do the full session. If you like it, great. We're just going to continue on. If you really think it wasn't worth it, um, it was, you didn't get anything out of it, then it won't be deducted from your plan at all. And we will just see you in person. And usually mm-hmm. people are at least willing to try it and then they see the results and you already got them committed. So we wouldn't do that for people that were visit by visit. Um, but if they were payment plan or pay in full, we would do it for them and 
I think all of them stuck. I don't think we had anyone that was like, no, my video visit didn't help me at all. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think most of them were like, okay, great. I'll try it. Cause it was no, like no risk. And yep. they all got great results. And we had testimonials from a couple of them. Yeah. Right? It was really good. Yeah. What about the people that, um, objected for that same reason, didn't do, didn't come in and see us. But then remember when we opened to in person, we called them back and said, yes. Hey, we're open in person, you know, and, and a lot of those people, uh, didn't take us up on it. Like, do you remember that? Do you, yes. what, what was the, what was the real objection? Did you get to that with a, any of the people as you followed up with them? Yeah. So a couple of them we did. Um, one guy was like, Hey, I'm happy on my painkillers. Mm -hmm. I don't care about getting better. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he just wanted basically massage, um, hands-on type stuff. And then we had a couple people who had just sought care elsewhere. So it was truly like whoever's going to help me first in person right. is where I'm going to go. Cause we did have some of those like mill PT clinics that were open throughout the whole mm -hmm. like quarantine, even phase one. Um, a couple other people had tried PT, failed, and then basically had either sought like painkiller medications or other different forms of treatment or still said that we were too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. And, and then what I'm sitting here thinking is like, God, it sounds like no one's coming into our clinic and getting PT. <laughs> but what I want to yeah. go back and is ask, what are the, um, like, with most people, we're getting these objections, but we're still able to close a majority of people into being patients. It's a mm -hmm. it's harder. It's less than uh, it was before um, Corona because there's a lot more reasons to give out objections. But what are, are there people coming in and becoming patients who really have no objections? Or does only, everyone have something? I've only had like one who was kind of like, oh, just take my money basically. Mm -hmm. But even then she kind of had an objection. You could just tell it wasn't really an objection. It was just her face was like, I don't want to be spending this money because I'm an athletic trainer. I should know how to fix myself, but I know I need this. So here, so it wasn't really an objection. It was just a, Oh, this is a grudge purchase. Right. And even right. someone who believes in PT, it's a grudge purchase. Right. So you can just imagine like how much more painful it's going to be right. for people who are skeptical or just even on the fence. Yeah. Why, um, why do you think people are skeptical and on the fence? Mm -hmm. I sometimes I think it comes just from one people don't know what we do so kind of what you mentioned earlier like oh this is for post-surgical rehab or hot, pay, hot pack leg lift ultrasound another one is just that because we don't accept insurance I think people are just like wow this isn't how things are normally done and people kind of are afraid of change Right. So even if it's good change, people are still going to be hesitant and skeptical to change. Um, even if someone referred them and you have, you know, all the testimonials in the world, it's still something new and something different. Um, and then the other thing would be maybe let down by the medical system in the past. Cause we're typically, even though like our clinic comes across as more like holistic, still physical therapy is a very like medical right. type of term and with the medical system. So I think if people have been let down by the medical system, they'll like associate us with the medical system. Yeah. What, um, that's a, those are good. Those are all good points. It got me off my question. <laughs> um, Our tangents. I know, I know. I think it's, it's interesting. And, Oh, I was going to say this. It sounds like 
we should just start accepting insurance and we wouldn't have to deal with anyone's objections. No, don't <laughs> do that. No, because right? then, yeah, then they don't have a skin in the game. You get people that don't do their homework and they don't get results. Right. Yeah. But some people get results just by getting off the couch. True, true. Right? Um, yeah. Gosh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I'm sitting here listening and I'm going, God, it just sounds like we're running up against all the objections. And, and I'm going to share this. I, I've had a patient in the past and one of my mastermind students yesterday um, posted about this in our mat, platinum mastermind. She's like, yeah, I've got a patient who's come to see me in the past, got great results, was in a motor vehicle accident, came in for the free TBD, but the insurance adjust or like, or the, the lawyer told her not to come see us. And I was mm. just like, and it triggered some rage inside me because I've had the same thing with a patient who came to see me probably like eight or nine years ago. And then mm -hmm. six or seven years ago, I think this was right when Derek was moving. Maybe she came in right when Derek uh, started working here. Cause I think I transitioned her to Derek, but anyways, mm -hmm. she was in an MVA and it, uh, it was bad enough that she had major surgeries, but was told, she wanted to come see us, was told not to. 18 months later, she was like, I don't care. I'm going to just come see you anyways. And in four visits, I got her back where she was able to actually work around her house to finish the renovation. She started before this accident two years prior and all this stuff. And I was just like, oh, my God, like the the whole focus on insurance and payment, it just really like gets in the way of our healing. Right. It does. Yeah. And especially it's crazy. I saw some like threads online uh, basically about how you know like an ACL reconstruction is going to take six to 12 months to rehab like six yeah. minimum 12 if you want to return to sport and insurance companies are approving the surgery but only giving people three to four months of rehab mm -hmm. so they're not even like approving what it takes to rehab what they approved before so right yeah it's crazy but I think a lot of it like especially usually our top objection I would say is cost and it's even harder because people have like more of a scarcity mindset mm -hmm. during COVID, which is obviously hard to overcome. But I think part of it also is just overcoming your own like self-limiting beliefs. So something that was really empowering to me was like, I met with my financial advisor and we were just talking about finances and he knows that I work in cash PT. So he was just mm -hmm. asking how it was going. And I was like, oh, we're getting this objection all the time. And he was like, let me tell you what, like some of the richest people that I work with are the most broke. People don't spend their money well. This is like where they're coming from. And he's like, but like, he's like, Caitlin, don't let anyone tell you that you are too expensive. Like you are hundred percent worth what you charge. And mm -hmm. sometimes you just need to like tell yourself that and just come in there with the confidence that even if they do tell you like, oh, that's really expensive. Like, no, you are worth it. Just keep asking for the sale and just have the courage to ask three times. Cause I think sometimes we give up after like one time, but right. no, like literally ask three times and keep asking after they leave. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get three yeses before the sale. And we got to ask for the sale three times. <laughs> exactly. And then don't let someone's like what you perceive as how like rich they are. Like, mm -hmm. will you like, like he said, like some people with the most money are actually the most broke and some people that are just middle-class, your average Joe can still afford your services. Yes. Yeah. I've had some of the least objections from people that I expected the biggest ones from, you know, farmer. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Farmer came to see me like 12 times, loved it, sent his wife, kids, family, neighbors, everybody, you know, and it's just like, yeah. people are like, oh, but you guys only treat affluent people. 
It's like we treat people that value their health and they're willing mm-hmm. to put their money into their health, not to like yep. frivolous stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, which goes to another time. I, I was telling Amber, I don't know if I want to be this blunt with people, but sometimes when I ask people like, oh, how motivated are you? On a scale of zero to 10, do you know, reach your goal? They'll say mm-hmm. 10 and then they'll tell me, oh, it's too expensive. And then I'll just ask them to like explain to me. I'm like, well, you said you were, you know, a 10 out of 10 motivated, but what I'm hearing is you're really not willing to invest in your health to get there. So help me understand like, where's that disconnect? And they usually like, they get angry because you politely called them out because you (laughs) say it with a smile on your face, but they're like, oh, hmm, maybe you're right. Yeah. What kind of answers do you get from that? Um, I've had anything from like, I had this one flight attendant that was like, oh, you tricked me with that question. I'm like, no, I'm just asking you like how you're feeling and where your motivation is at. So I've had kind of an irritated response. Mm -hmm. I've had the, hmm, I guess I'm willing to invest, but not that much. And I'm like, okay, so then let's reframe. How important is your goal to you? Is there a goal that is more important to you? Because sometimes maybe people think that they want to be able to run three miles, but really they just want to be a part of their run club and have the community. Mm-hmm. It's more the community and feeling connected that they care about, about not so much that they wanted to run. So right. reframing kind of what's their true emotional goal, not so much just what they think that they want. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the big yeah. two. And when you reframe they don't really the goal, know. <laughs> yeah, like, so when you reframe the goal and they can think more about it, does that generally change and shift the conversation? Yeah, because usually either they just feel more heard or understood, or they'll just kind of get emotional in like a good way. Rarely do people cry. Sometimes they cry, but sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, this is what I actually want and need. I just don't want my knee pain to go away. (laughs) Right. So it's less about the knee pain and the running and more about like, what does all that do for them? Yeah, exactly. And also, I found that it's really hard to get people to figure that out and express it to themselves. So that's another question you usually have to find like three different ways to ask. Because if you ask someone, hey, why is running too important? They're like, oh, I don't know. And then it's like, okay, does running bring you joy? Or what about running do you actually like? Would you be sad if I took running away from you and you couldn't run anymore? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's usually finding different ways to ask them that question. Because usually it's not the activity that's important to them. Like for one lady, she wanted to be able to do CrossFit. And I was like, okay, so like, why do you, do you actually like doing CrossFit? Because it doesn't sound like you do. And she's like, no, I actually hate it. Um, But it's like the one hour a week, me and my like boyfriend spend time together. So it's really important to spend time and right. you know, build our relationship. And I'm like, okay, great. So that's what you actually want. Right, right. Not to just do CrossFit. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's important to be able to tease that information out. And we can't yeah. do that if we don't really challenge kind of the... Uh, smokescreen excuse right yes yeah. yes so, as hard as it is <laughs> yeah I mean here's the thing is that here's one thing I know is even if people leave and we don't get the sale they learn more about themselves and what yep, they yep. want and why things are important and they I've had people say to me wow Dr. LeBauer like that was really great you know like that was insightful like, yeah like so can I help you reach those goals but the <laughs> goals aren't big enough you know it's like you're like oh I don't know why I'm doing that I just yeah. thought I had to do that I'm like you don't have yeah. to right? Um, No one's making you go work out. No one makes you run. Um, But there are consequences if you don't work out or exercise or what, what's the, I want to go back to the, um, because you just brought it up, like, like the spousal objection. So what's the spousal objection? And then how do you usually um, handle that? Yeah. So usually I would say the spouse objection is just a smokescreen for like, I'm not sure. 
And I would say that more, or maybe that it's too expensive because usually they're like, oh, well, they'll present it as like, I need to go talk about my, talk to my spouse about that before I commit. Mm -hmm. And they won't really say what they're going to talk about. Or they'll just say like, oh, I can't spend that much money without checking with my spouse first. And so I'll kind of reframe it a couple different ways. I used to ask kind of like, oh, is your spouse like, do you think they'll support your decision? But usually people are like, oh, yeah, of course, because they don't want to make their relationship look bad. Um, So usually I'll ask like, oh, just what are you going to discuss? And some people will say like, oh, we have a hard and fast rule that if we spend over $500, we have to run it by the other person. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. That's completely fair. I get that. Um, And then I'll just say, how about we at least get you started today? Um, You're not going to have to give us more than $500. You could just pay for our visit today. Or if you wanted to, Amber can send you home with some payment plan options and you can discuss which one is best for you and then come back and talk about it. So that's kind of one angle that we'll do. And I say that works like 25, 30% of the time. And then the other I would say 70%. I'm like, invite, I will invite the spouse to come do a total body diagnostic. Mm -hmm. And then they'll just say like, oh, like, I don't think they'll need that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so like, why don't you think you'll, they would want to come in and see like, and just kind of like tease out. And then once again, ask, okay, what are you guys going to discuss? And then they'll be like, oh, it's expensive. And then you go back to the, okay, let's redirect to expensive compared to what, or Mm -hmm. like, it sounds to me like you're like want to reach your goals, but you're just not willing to invest in your health. Like help me explain where the disconnect is. So then you're just kind of reframing based on cost. Um, And then usually the third option, which I just started out. So I don't really have a, how often it works is we just made like those patient action plans. Mm -hmm. So usually what I've been doing um, with folks, I'm like, Hey, let's at least get you relief today. And then you can go home and talk about it with your spouse. I'll fill out like a new, a patient action plan for them. And then I'll say that way they don't have to come in here. Um, You don't have to make them take time out of your day and you don't have to remember like what's wrong with you, what we're going to do to fix it, to tell them here's this action plan. It's like a tangible piece of paper and they can take it home and show it to their spouse. So their spouse can be like, oh, this is what your money is getting you. Yeah. Which has worked so far. Awesome. Awesome. And then um, are you getting people like, do people go home and talk to their spouse or is it, and, and call you back and say, all right, I'm ready to go. Or is this more like we got to follow up with them? Yeah, you usually do have to follow up with them. We actually had someone uh, say that this last week, last week. Um, it's really odd because she's been a patient here before. Mm-hmm. And she still said she was like, oh, I need to run it by my husband. And like Amber's followed up with her a couple mm-hmm. times, left messages. She hasn't called us back. I have tried several times as well right. and still hasn't. So we don't really know quite what's going on there, but um, she did kind of think she left, she grabbed her back pain book on the way out and she's like, oh, I wish I would have just signed up for this online. Mm-hmm. I think if I just do these, I'll be fine. Right, right. So I have a feeling we're just going to have to follow up with her in a couple months and be like, yeah, your back pain didn't go away. So mm-hmm. get you back in here. Right. Are people, but, yeah. so, but it's so now more than before, it's we handle, like if people don't enroll right at the time of the TBD, it's you know, objections, we handle the objections, they enroll, and then more people, they go home, we have to what, follow up with them. Like we're actively following up with them once a week to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from their thing to, uh, from their free visit to get them in and uh, start as a patient, which I mean, I know works with, has worked with um, quite a few people in the last uh, few months because, wow, that person, like we, we would talk about the objection and then the next week, the person's on the schedule. And I'm like, wait a minute, 
you know, oh, what was the objection? So what are you finding is like the, like, what are they, what is it that, is it something that is you're following up with them or are they kind of figuring things out or are they coming to a, um, I think the word I'm missing is like, a, is there an epiphany that they're having? That's like, oh, that is going to work for me or I can be successful going here for PT or, you know, is there something that you're noticing? Yeah. So there's kind of two things because Corona has been a weird time where a lot of times people would like make the appointment when they had a job, then they'd get mm -hmm. furloughed. And then they'd literally tell me, oh, I think I'll be, you know, back on my job in three months, call me in three months. And then right. sure, I can come back. So we've had that happen. But the biggest thing is just like exaggerating their pain point. So kind of like I mentioned, a lot of active people, mm -hmm. they won't be hurting or can't recreate their pain when they're like in my office. But then they'll go home, I'll call them a week later and be like, hey, so are you back to running three miles again? And they'll be like, no. And I'll be like, okay, how did your last bike ride go? Um, did you have back pain? And they'll be like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so it's been a week. And what progress have you made since the last time I saw mm -hmm. you? And they'll either say I've made no progress or it's actually getting worse. And then once again, reframe, ask for the sale and be like, okay, so how much like longer are you willing to suffer and not see any progress? Or wouldn't it be awesome if you could see progress, you know, in one week, let's get you in here and at least get you started on the path to your goal. Right. Right. And is that the thing? Like, is that what it is? It's like getting, they go, Oh yeah. Finally get started. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah. exaggerating their pain point and just right. like making them realize like, it's just not going to like magically get better the more that you wait. Cause I think a lot of times just in, I don't know, everyone's just kind of in that, let me just hibernate and hope things go away. Let's hope our politics get better. Let's hope right. this virus goes away. And it's like, well, you can't just sit forever and wait for things to get better because they're not going to get right. better. Let's hope the back pain goes away. Action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not how it works. So it's just kind of, I guess, widening the gap between where they're currently at and mm -hmm. like where they want to right. be. Right. Right. So what you're doing is you're finding out where they are and you're stretching mm -hmm. the possibility um, and you know, creating a gap between where they are and where they might be if they do nothing or where they can be if they do do something, right? Yeah, that's another one. I hate using the scare tactic, but I mentioned this, you know, in the group where people are either striving to reach a goal or they're trying to like prevent something from happening or prevent something from getting worse. So maybe mm -hmm. it's like, my knee hurts now. I don't want to tear my ACL or, oh, I don't want to get surgery. So sometimes instead of asking them what their goal is, you have to kind of ask them like, hey, if you don't take action on this problem, like where do you see yourself six, nine, 12 months down the road? And then you have to have them imagine the big scary stuff. And like, I hate scaring people, but sometimes you even have to like paint the picture because they'll be like, oh, I don't know, like the same place I am at now. And I'm like, well, if you don't do this, it increases your risk of injury. And like, sometimes you have to paint the big scary picture or you have to say, well, what if you couldn't run? What does look like? What does life look like for you? Mm -hmm. And that's never a pleasant picture that they yeah. want to paint. Yeah, no, it's not. And it's, and wouldn't, I think that what you bring up is a good point is that we're not in the business of scaring people to take action, yeah. but some yeah. people don't have goals. They just don't want to end up like their parents, mm -hmm. but they, exactly. that's not the yeah. first, that's not why they come in to see us. Their back hurts. Yeah. <laughs> we have to kind of tease those things out of them. It's like, what is it that they either want to gain or when they don't know, what is it that they want to avoid? And we have to really mm -hmm. like, help them spell it out for themselves or spell it out for them. Like you could, this could happen. Like, but it's, we're not putting, you're not putting the words in their mouth. You're saying what would life be like, right? If you did yeah. nothing and it got worse or you got injured, like 
and you couldn't. And sometimes, yeah, if they don't have a really good answer to that, like what would life look like six, nine, 12 months down the road? And I'm like, okay, well, obviously you're in here to like avoid surgery. So like, what's your biggest fear? What is the biggest fear that you could have? Mm -hmm. And then that's sometimes what will get them to kind of say it. That's great. That's a great one. Um, Before I want to also talk about We've changed a few things. So the way we do it is we invite people in for like a free, or we've been inviting people in for a free total body diagnostic in person, right? Mm -hmm. But we were doing those on video. And what was the problem that you had doing that on video? And what did we start doing instead? Yeah, so we would have a lot of people on video. One, it's just harder for some people to connect. So a lot of our elderly patients would either need someone to help them or just really hard because they're hard of hearing or just had trouble connecting. So that was one patient population that was kind of hard to mm-hmm. connect. Some people are have been like let down by the medical system. So they just, I want you to touch me where it hurts. And that's probably all the convincing that they really need. Right. Um, so for those folks, we kind of offer both options right now. So if you want to do a video visit, it's no cost obligation. We chat. That's great. We're totally okay. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel safe coming into the clinic, we even have some of like our wellness warrior people still on video. Right. Um, if you do want to come into the clinic, we just explain to them, it's going to be like a nominal fee of $35 just because we have to clean reserve a space for you, um, which takes away from our paying clients and all that good stuff. And it also kind of shows to us that they're at least willing to invest some money. Um, and so I can say, Hey, why did you spend the $35 to come see me then today? If you weren't serious about reaching your goals. Right. Um, and we've been finding that that works really well. I think our conversion rates are a lot higher doing the $35 in person than online because we yeah. can connect with them. And like we said, if they're willing to invest a little bit, um, yeah. we also post as being like risk-free because we'll apply it to your plan of care, but they're usually a lot more willing to hop on board with yeah. that. I think we've only had what two people come, maybe come in and say, you know, yeah. after paying the 35 they're not going to do it. But I think one person's still mm-hmm. following up. I think it's, it's for the people that do come in and pay it. The conversion rate is very high. You know, yeah, I haven't I've actually like, done and the some numbers, people, it's like 80%, you know? Yeah. And some people we do both. So some people, I had one um, girl with uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So she's used to doctors having like never heard of her syndrome at all. So she wanted to do video with me first. So we did a video call. Then she came in person she recently had a bunch of health flare-ups, so she has to get cleared for physical therapy, but she seemed like another one who was like serious. Yeah. But that's someone we've been nurturing for months. Yeah. Right. Because I did a talk to a PT with her before the call, the video call too. Yeah. yeah. So, and Amber spent so much time on the phone with her. Like, yeah. I think like you said, people just need a lot more connection and time invested in them for them yeah. to convert. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one, that's the big thing I've noticed is we've spent more time with people along the way. One, they don't get connection at home, but two, they need more kind of, I guess, reassurance that they're on the right path, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and then I guess if there's a third thing, it's it's showing me that, that what people really, you know, what people really want is yes for us to talk to them and hear them. And then some days I go, well, do they understand that they don't get this anywhere? They're not going to get this anywhere else. <laughs> you know, if they don't, they don't do get this, it, they are not. They're really, there may be one or two other people. I don't, I could think of maybe one or two other people in Greensboro who we know who might do mm-hmm. something similar, but in the 90% of the places these you know, people are choosing to go, they're not going to get anything close. They're probably not doing anything about 
about the problem, yeah. you know, which is makes me sad. But um, if there's uh, if someone listening is like, oh, my gosh, like I get all those objections all the time or, you know, they, they've never actually tried to like respond to a patient's objection. What would what would be your best advice to them or like like a rule to go by or or something like that? Ooh, I would say have the confidence to keep reframing and asking for the sale and don't sell yourself short because usually half the time it's like a confidence problem. So be confident and keep asking for the sale and don't think you're coming across as like nagging because essentially you're advocating for this person's health because what I found is we still follow up with people even if they say no and we try to make sure like just to find out where they've sought help elsewhere if they have and half the time if people don't say yes to you they're not going to go anywhere else um, or they'll just go for the quick fix and get the object injection or the surgery. So just like use that as kind of like your motivation, like you're essentially trying to save them and help them help themselves. So use mm -hmm. that as like your motivation, not that you're nagging them or trying to take their money, even though they might think that and always use that for your true motivation because you're going to come across as more genuine um, and they'll like you more and you'll build trust and rapport. Yeah. And then I would say also, however you get into the Facebook group that I did the lives on, go watch all of them. Cause I think, I don't know, I think it's two hours worth of yeah. like objections training. So yeah. yeah. So anyone listening, like so. uh, Caitlin did a, a four week series of objections training in the physical therapy business ignition group. And, and that's a group for people that are in my pri private coaching uh, programs or online courses like the cash PD blueprint or ultimate PT uh, marketing system. So if you're interested in those, uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram or somewhere. Give me a shout out um, because those are really valuable. And so she did those and I was like, we need to get her on the podcast and share like the, uh, the big highlights from that. Um, so thank you for um, uh, doing that for me and for us. Thank that you. was really helpful. Um, let's see. I think the, the, the other question I had, the last question I had was how did you, you, cause you've mentioned this a couple of times. How did you build the confidence to be, or how'd you build the, uh, like the mindset or the confidence to be confident in your value of what you're worth to patients and what you're worth to, you know, our business or, you know, like to even just say, Hey, you know, Mrs. Jones, this is going to be eight visits and it's a couple thousand, it's a couple thousand dollars and you're going to get every penny's worth, you know, if not more out of it. Like how, where'd you, where'd you build that? How, how'd that come, how'd that come along? Yeah. So I'd say it's definitely been a learning curve and process over the past year and a half. Um, I would say, let's see, you gave me the book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, mm -hmm. which I would definitely suggest. I'm still only halfway through it because like self-development books, I tend to only read like one <laughs> chapter at a time because I'm like, I'm actually going to do the homework. I'm someone, right. if you give me the homework, I'm going to do it. So that book has a lot of homework, which is good. Um, the other thing was just having like a money expert, like I said, tell me like, no, you're worth what you charge, Caitlin. Like you're worth more than that because you mm -hmm. also this is the other thing. And just like reading research. So I think I mentioned in one of the videos that technically people are more likely to spend less money if they go out of network than in network. So they're actually mm -hmm. saving money. Um, and it's good for you to know that, but your patient's not going to care about that. They right. are going to buy on emotion, not logic, but it gives you the confidence to know that like people will tell you, oh, you're unethical for doing cash base. Like, no, it is ethical. You're actually saving the money. They're avoiding all these dangerous things. So just knowing that is like a nice little confidence boost. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would also say for me, it was challenging because I've only had like one negative, I guess, PT experience 
like one as a patient and then one as like a clinician slash PT student, but just like knowing what Aaron mentioned, like out there when you have to juggle three to four patients an hour, no one's going to listen to this patient. Like no one's going to have time to actually evaluate them every single visit to know, like have their symptoms change is the problem elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera. So just like knowing that you're providing basically the best treatment for that client also gives you kind of leverage to be like, yeah, I am worth it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's really great. Um, anything else you think is helpful that I didn't ask? I think I got through some of the main questions that yeah. I had, you know, any questions for me or, <laughs> or anything else you think is relevant that we should yes, chat right. about? Before Ooh, we how did about? you gain the confidence? Cause oh, you also one. like, I have you, I have a great mentor, but like you just went out of school. You're just like, Hey, I'm going to start this business. Let's go. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, you know, when I was in PT school, I was charging $85 an hour for massage. And I was like, well, if I'm Dr. Labauer, people are going to pay me nine, you know, like $10 an hour or more. And I was way undercharging, but I didn't really have anyone. It took me 10 years <laughs> to really build that confidence that, you know, I was worth, you know, $2,000 minimum for a plan of care, if not more for people, mm-hmm. for the way that I changed their lives. And part of it was going, like, I started learning it because I uh, taught other people how to do it. I taught Derek and Tyler and you. I was like, these guys can do it. Like, shit, I'm worth twice as much. But really, you guys are better than me because you've learned more in a condensed period of time. Um, You're better clinicians than I am. And uh, and you guys know more. And you have more room. Now you have more room to keep growing, you know, after just like a year, like, like, I like, Derek came right after school. You came right after school and Tyler was six months after school. So you guys in like a year and a half after school have like 20 years of compressed knowledge, you know, so how did it, so one, it was teaching Two, It was, it was slogging through the experience. And I definitely went through periods where I would say to my wife, I was like, Andra, like, why, why aren't the patients coming to see me? Like, where are they? they like, do, are they you know, really getting them better? You know, like I didn't know, like there was this like three year period and I didn't really have like a clinical mentor who understood what I was doing. And, mm-hmm. um, and she's like, but Aaron, they're paying you. Like you're clearly worth it there, you know, and I was seeing 25 people a week, but I was like, you know, like what's happening is I had a lot of self doubt around it until I started working with a coach again and coaching other people and teaching it. So it, for me, it was doing it for a long time, having experience and reflecting. And then really it was when I started teaching how to do this. That's when I really like, that's when the confidence really built. And so that's why that's one of the reasons I was like, I want you to go do that objections training so that you can teach it. Cause that really helped. But you know, it was, um, and, and then seeing the results people get and seeing the and knowing what the um, alternatives are it's mm-hmm. uh it's unfortunate i think that as physical therapists we undervalue ourselves and we're undervalued as a profession for the results we get in people in the world medicare and private insurance certainly doesn't value us so we have to value ourselves for the results we we how we change our patients lives and it was also going in and learning more about sales when i learned about oh, sales and about selling the transformation not the you know knee pain solution that I realized, hey, I'm helping people play with their kids and uh, be with their spouse again. That's worth more than, you know, a hundred bucks an hour for eight hours. That's more worth way more than 800 bucks to me, you know? Yeah. So that was Priceless. all those combinations. But like I said, like that took me 
few minutes to explain because it took me way too many years to really do that because I didn't have, I wasn't surrounded by people that knew like what, what I was doing or how I was doing it. You know, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was just like an isolation trying to figure this out and a couple of pieces started falling together. And then as I taught it, it just went, whoosh. I was like, Oh, here's the formula. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is have a mentor and surround yourself with people doing the same thing or doing bigger and better things. That's it. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So, well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your insights. Cause uh, one, it's, it's great to hear Two, I don't get to spend as much time across the street. Three, I wish I, we could have like hung out in the same room, recorded this episode, but we're doing it on zoom because of, you know, the Corona and four, yes. there are a lot of people out there that still need your help, need our help and need everyone who's mm-hmm. listening, needs your help. And you can't sit back and go, well, the patient just gave me an objection. I guess I'm not good enough. They don't want what I have. Like it's your duty to follow up with them and keep mm-hmm. offering, keep handling the objection and offer the services because they're hurting and they're injured and they're going to be told, go get the MRI, go get the surgery. Uh, don't go to the out-of-network clinic. Go in networks; so they can look better on your MBA uh, case record and all that stuff that puts uh, insurance over healing. So, thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my little... better. Yeah, no, thank you for having yeah. me. It's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you guys um, got anything out of this episode, here's what I'd love you to do: is um, well, we're actually Caitlin. Where do people find you on Instagram? What's your Instagram handle? And if someone's learned more about you or follow you over yeah. there, learn more about powerlifting and stuff, where do they go see All you? All the things. Yeah, everything. So um, my handle is Kate Herzog, D-P-T. So awesome. it's K-A-I-T-H-E-R-Z-O-G and then D-P-T. Cool. Is there anything else uh, that you want to share? Or that's pretty much like the number one place other than our clinic website to find you, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you can add me on Facebook. I'm not a huge Facebook user. Um, but yeah, I would yeah. say clinic, Instagram too, LaBauer PT. Yeah. I'm on the stories. Yeah, awesome. So, so Going on rants, coffee-fueled rants. Right. This is what I'd love for you guys. If you're listening, would love it. If you, know, you got anything out of this episode, not only would love a, a rating and review on iTunes, but more than anything... Um, take a screenshot of this or take a picture of yourself, of yourself and just screenshot uh, and post on Instagram stories, your number one takeaway, tag Caitlin, tag me. And even you could tag our clinic at LeBauer PT is where you'll see her working and work on our social media with Amber and just let us know what uh, resonated most for you. And if you try one of these uh, scripts with one of your patients, just let us know the results that you get. Otherwise tell your friends, um, about this show, tell your colleagues and uh, tune in again because we got some amazing episodes coming up for you on the next uh, few shows. So thank you so much for listening and keep on taking action. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com and we get your copy. Give me a shout out somewhere on social media and we'll talk to you soon.